0: Welcome back to the Dear Heart and the Brain podcast show. I'm your host, Jess Wong, and here we like to explore the diverse underpinnings of science in everyday life. If you haven't done so already, go ahead and hit that follow button on Spotify so you never miss a single podcast episode. Today, we will be talking about the neuroscience of bad habits. This episode will be organized in three parts. First... I will explain why we form bad habits following we will dive into the structure of habit formation and execution and lastly i will provide a three-step framework on how to break bad habits and replace them with positive alternatives so we all have bad habits right whether it's turning to comfort food when we're sad or taking a cigarette break when we're stressed habits take practice and repetition to form and the same is true for breaking them. If anything like me you'll like to break a few bad habits and like me you have probably try to break those bad habits only to discover how difficult it truly can be. Many people mistakenly attribute their bad habits to character flaws such as laziness or a lack of self-discipline. However the real reason that thrive is because they produce such an immediate reinforcement, such an immediate reward. And oftentimes, it's much easier to form bad habits over good habits, not because of a lack of self-discipline or education, but because we are biologically predisposed to repeat behaviors based on their immediate physical, social, and emotional rewards. And... In modern society, behaving based on immediate consequences can put us on the road to mental illness, addiction, and metabolic diseases. So most good habits don't naturally provide that immediate reinforcement, that immediate reward. However, we can learn to create our own sources of reward, specifically Back on bad habits. Bad habits are formed so easily because they are so rapidly reinforced. And in good habits, that reinforcement only happens much later. For instance, junk food. I don't know what your favorite junk food is, but for me, I just love spicy chips. Like Takis And the purple bag, of course. They provide such a immediate pleasure and it's a stress relief most. Another example could be staying up late and sleeping in because it offers such a rapid entertainment or immediate comfort reward. Or a last example is going on excessive shopping sprees because spending may give us a momentary rush of positive emotions, especially if it's a novel item that you bought or something was on a massive sale. And in comparison, these bad habits they have their good habit counterparts. And these good habits often require days, weeks, or even longer to really reap the benefits. And even though these benefits usually are much larger than the smaller, immediate rewards of the bad habits, we often still turn to bad habits on our daily functioning decisions. And much of it is because of our central nervous system. You know, to the human brain, how immediate the reward is, is much more important than the type of reward or magnitude of the reward. And habits are so hard to break because replacing a firstly learned habit with a new one doesn't erase the original behavior. Rather, both remain as a neural circuit that governs behavior patterns, however, can take steps to strengthen the new one and suppress the original one now let's move on to the second part of our episode where we discuss the structure of habit formation and execution so a bad habit is formally defined as say a frequent behavior pattern that is deemed to have some sort of negative impact on a part of your life and these types of habits are incredibly difficult to break Because they are performed day after day, week after week, and year after year, and these bad habits become our default state. Habits form because they deliver rewards, so think of your dopamine, right, dopaminergic systems. When we are in pursuit of rewarding behaviors, we get this euphoric feeling from doing it as a result of dopamine which leads to changes in both the connections between neurons responsible for our actions. And our nervous system largely accounts for why we start to form bad habits in the first place. So most of the rewarding stimuli, such as sugar or nicotine, are such powerful modulators to our physiology. And this really shows how multifaceted, habit formation truly is, especially when there's a physiological uh, influence. However, our brain can't really tell the difference between a good habit and a bad habit. All habits, good and bad, are stored deep in the brain as embedded programs such as software in your computer ready to execute on cue. And habits are composed of Three main parts. So let's take a look at their skeleton. So, habits have a cue, a reward, and a routine. And all habits have the same structure. Are there helpful habits, such as drinking water or meditating, or less helpful habits, such as perhaps eating dinner while scrolling through social media? In each case, there's a trigger that prompts us to perform the behavior. And there's also some sort of payoff or reward at the end. And once we're in this loop, we tend to continue the process until the habit becomes ingrained. The longer this habit is repeated over and over again, the more deeply it is embedded. So what can we do if we're trying to have these habits become part of our ingrained style of life all we need to do is reprogram our brains to break that habit. as action oriented creatures it's really hard to stop a behavior for instance a 2008 study in the journal appetite found that those who try to suppress their thoughts about eating chocolate showed this behavior rebound effect and as a result They consumed significantly more chocolate than those who didn't suppress their thoughts about eating chocolate. Similarly, a 2010 study published in the Journal of Psychological Science found that smokers who try to restrain their thoughts about smoking wound up thinking about it even more. So again, this behavioral or cognitive rebound effect bad habit is performed over and over again and it's key to note that it's distinguished from an addiction or mental illness by its relationship to willpower for instance straightforwardly if you're able to use willpower to break a bad habit then it was just that it was just a bad habit however if you are unable to use willpower to break a bad habit then it is likely a manifested behavior of addiction or some certain level of mental illness in this last part of this episode i'm going to explain a straightforward three-step framework on how to break bad habits and replace them with positive alternatives so the first step is to define the habit you would like to break define its triggers and ask yourself why you want to break in the first place i'm not gonna encourage those service level reasons I want you to dive deep inside of yourself and really explain why this habit is harmful and what breaking it will do for you. For instance, if you've been a smoker during your whole adult life, perhaps you can consider if you break this habit of chronically smoking, you could potentially add years to your life. These years could be spent enjoying it by watching your children, your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren grow up. And once you've established your concrete reasons for breaking this habit, you need to list the triggers that happen just before you perform this bad habit. What is the larger pattern or system of this behavior? Do you go to a local ice cream parlor immediately after your workout session? Do you jump straight to your phone upon waking up? What is the pathway of the bad habit that's being activated before it's performed? And once you've understood your reasons for wanting to break this habit, the triggers that cause you to perform this habit, and any larger view of how these triggers work together, it's time to move on to the second step, which is to choose a substitute for your bad habit. Most times, breaking a bad habit means replacing it with something else. So let's return back to the idea of triggers. When you experience a pattern system that tells your brain that it's time to perform your bad habit, your brain will not expect this habit to take place. And in that moment, you're going to feel this uncomfortable pull to perform this bad habit. You're going to have this really irritating urge that's going to be difficult to ignore if you have nothing to replace it with. Therefore, you must substitute out your bad habit to ensure that your brain has somewhere else to turn to when it experiences that trigger that preceded the old habit. Going back to the example of going straight to the ice cream parlor after your workout, recognizing that breaking that habit of just heading home instead is unlikely to hold up. You could consider going on a cool down walk at a nearby garden or do a meditation practice at a local park. That way, you could still keep up with the ritual of a third space between going home and the gym while still having a positive effect on your body. Change the routine, change your environment. The simplest way to break a habit is not to be exposed to the trigger. For most habits, you can't eliminate the trigger, but we can reduce our exposure to it by changing our environment. Back in the smartphone example, the trigger is waking up and you can't eliminate that, but you can make sure that your phone is not within easy reach when you wake up by perhaps putting it in another room, keeping it in the kitchen, or keeping it in the car, And these additional steps make it much harder to perform the unwanted behavior. Lastly, third step. You want to rely on your self-efficacy to be able to break it even when you feel like or you believe that the odds are stacked against you. When you replace a bad habit with a better one, Sometimes, the original vice will have a much stronger biological quote reward than substitute. and this is where the importance of having a strong intrinsic motivation comes into play. You must be persistent in your quest to break this habit but at the same time you must be patient with the process and you can do so by aiming for success and planning for failure. What this means is you can reward yourself during milestones of days without performing the habit, and also visualize yourself shaking it off for good. However, what I mean by planning for failure is be prepared for slip-ups. Even if you relapse, you aren't back at square one. When making behavioral change, it's important to feel supported in your endeavors and change can feel hard. So having a network to support that change can hold you accountable be the difference between success and failure it could be as simple as telling a friend a colleague or a family member that you're changing a bad habit and the old saying that um, old habits die hard is certainly true and you have taken months or years to develop that bad habit and your new more helpful habit will just take as much repetition and practice to become fully embedded so continued awareness is so important as the old habit will always be there because it's stored deep in your brain as an automatic program. And the, the key is to practice that new behavior consistently and persistently until it becomes a stronger neural pathway in your brain so that it can overlay the previous old habit. So that's all I got for you for today. I'll leave you with the same message I leave you in every single one of our Dear Heart and the Brain show, podcast episodes. Keep that brain sharp, keep that heart healthy, and go dominate. Thanks for your time and attention, and most importantly, thank you for your interest in science.